Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the fourth edition of Quarantine Kick, colon, A New Hope. Uh, and we hope we can bring some hope to your day today. But uh, Caleb Rose, let's hop right in with an uh, update on our last episode, the Belarusian League table. Yes, that's right. The Belarusian League is still somehow going. And let me tell you, things are really heating up. Energetic BGU remain perfect for the season. Three for three with nine points. And our teams, you know, are doing solid. My squad, FC Torpedo Zodino, still sit in fifth. Um, although, Nick, your team has, you know, fallen pretty low. Listen, I thought I picked the establishment team in the Belarusian League, the safe pick. You know, the uh, the reigning uh, multi-time champions, Bate Borisov. Champions League quality caliber team, and they have proven me uh, just so terribly wrong over the first two games of the season, three games of the season, as they are uh, they're one and two in the division right now, sitting in a measly thirteenth place. So uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll have the time and the uh, corona free <laughs> uh, environment to push their way up the league table where they belong. But Nathan Strauss, give us an update on your side. Well, not been going too great for Shaq Toyor, uh, not to be confused with Shakhtar again. A win, a draw, and a loss through their three games. They have a big game this weekend against relegation candidates Smolovici STI. They'll hope to get away from that one. Disease free. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good matchups this weekend. Torpedo take on um, the league leaders, Energetic, so I'm excited about that. But really, once again, as a soccer fan, you have no reason not to try to watch these games at all. Legitimately no other reason not to watch. And we're not, we're not, that's not hyperbole when we say that. You have legitimately nothing else going on that would prevent you from watching the next greatest league on the face of the earth, the Belarusian Premier League. Yeah. So, you know, that's our update on the Belarusian Premier League, and we encourage, you know, all of our corner kick fans to pick their own team as the season somehow kicks on, despite, you know, all public health. Yes, uh, there are several other unclean teams that we have yet to discuss on the pod, like Neman Grodno or uh, FK Slutsk, who are somehow in a second place and are pushing, pushing right up behind energetic BGU. So there are plenty of other open parties in the Belarusian League for other people to hop on the band the bandwagon, and we encourage you to do so. But yes. uh, in other news, Caleb, we have some non-corona related soccer news coming out of Barcelona today with some shock resignations and a shakeup of an already fragile Barcelona ecosystem over there. Yeah. So today, six or yesterday, six board members uh, resigned from Barcelona, which is pretty crazy citing disagreements uh, with the current president, Josep Maria Bartomeu. And while it's sort of connected to coronavirus, it actually goes back to earlier this year with Barca Gate, where it was claimed that the Barcelona management was paying third-party like Twitter and Instagram accounts to attack Barcelona players. Um, it's kind of like, which NBA player has like a fake account that he used? Kevin, to, like, Durant, Kevin yeah. Durant and his burners. Yeah, so imagine... Except he's not attacking himself. He's literally the club management attacking its own players. Now, it's unclear if that's true, but certainly things behind the scenes have gotten pretty dicey. Yeah, and I, you wrote an article a few years ago talking about 
the how the transfer policies of Madrid and Barcelona gradually shifted in the past decade. This seems to be like the culmination of Barcelona's identity crisis that dates all the way back to, I don't know, 2013, yeah, in my no, mind. Or 2014 I mean, when they signed Neymar, right? Right. I mean, it just seems like Barcelona haven't been managed very well for a long time, both financially and from a sort of diplomatic perspective. We know there was a vote of no confidence a few years ago that tried to force Bartomeu out. And of course, Barcelona's in a unique situation because it is owned by the people um, and not any corporation. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. It certainly seems like Bartomeu has a lot of insurrection to deal with right now. And I don't really see how a club with massive debts and the biggest average player wage bill in the world is going to come out well on the other side of this recession. Yeah. Speaking of wage bill and player values, we also have some news on that. Nathan, do you want to catch us up? Yeah. So transfer market, transfer market released uh, new values this week that correspond with the global downturn of the economy and players lost a combined, what was the, what was the figure, Caleb? Uh, $9 billion. Right. Nine billion dollars of value was lost, and Nick, your team Liverpool, lost two hundred and forty-eight million dollars of value. Uh, what do you think this means for Liverpool, for for clubs as a whole, and and how the transfer market is going to carry out uh, this summer or whenever the window gets reopened? I think it actually benefits uh, the teams, sort of in the in like the mid table and lower lower tier positions, if their players start to lose a little bit more value. Um, cause they're not going to be seen as perhaps as high commodities anymore. So they'll be able to sort of keep that infrastructure a bit stable. Maybe we won't see the likes of Leicester city, uh, having to sell off James Madison next season for 75 million plus to a big top six club. I think maybe we can see that those smaller club infrastructures start to develop a little bit more as they're able to hang on to their players. I think this does it's insane that the European champions who have a plethora of world-class players in their prime and young players just coming up in the game has seen such a dramatic downturn in value. We think about players like Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is perhaps one of the world's most promising players at any position, not just in the right-pack position, who just two months ago was valued over at over 100 million pounds, is now just completely diminished in value in the transfer market. So I think we might see, I think the era of big budget moves and move like triple digit moves, the likes of the Neymar move and even the likes of like the Griezmann move and perhaps even like something like the Harry Maguire move where you over, you can overpay over $75 million for a center back to fill gaps in a squad. I think we're going to see, transfers out of necessity and less so just because clubs have the financial power to do it because i think that financial power might start to wane once we get back into the flow of things yeah i mean there was a time when barcelona could buy sesc fabregas in his prime from arsenal for 35 million like just think about that and now we're talking about players like jack grealish going for 75 million um, and, you know, nothing against Jack Grealish, but I think this shows how massive the inflation of player values has become in the last few years. And in some ways, this is probably a, a welcome reset for a lot of clubs. Yeah, 
I mean, I think we can probably talk at length in another episode about the clubs that are best positioned to come out of the to come out of the uh, this this coronavirus pause. But certainly, clubs with good academy talent will welcome this because it will hopefully diminish the market for a team like Ajax or Benfica or Sporting that are better known for producing players than keeping hold of them. Right. I think something that the coronavirus certainly has shed more of a light on is I think our like personal relationships with players, not just looking at like the economic perspective and transfer value of certain players. I think this coronavirus has not only made us look at that side of the game, but it's also made us look at them as people, which I think it can, it can, I don't know, it could potentially sour us on a certain, like certain individuals, certain players. I know like, there is a harsh divide right now, especially in England, in the Premier League, about how accountable players need to be about their salaries and being generous with them and donating. So I think this is this is certainly a tipping point for player value and player perception globally throughout the entirety of the game. And especially the players who continue to defy the rules that everyone else in society is holding to. There was some negative press around Kyle Walker this week after it was revealed that he... Uh, invited some, uh, uh, he had a multiple strippers over to his house the day before tweeting that everyone should stay at home. Right. And uh, even and- Jack Grealish, who uh, drove to a party, I think it was a, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was a DWI situation. Yes. And, or, or, or even, maybe even more soccer specific, Mourinho organizing training for a few of his Spurs players yeah, uh, in a park and in London. Right. So yeah. more than just the financial barrier that already exists between like us as members of society and the perception of a Premier League player, to see that they're not holding themselves accountable for public safety is disappointing. Some some of them obviously. Right. And worse with the Mourinho example, like by training in a public park, like if that gets out on Twitter, that's the type of thing that could draw a crowd, you know? Um, and become an even bigger public health concern. So it's irresponsible on like multiple levels. Right. And like I think as we know, perception and like outward appearance certainly can affect someone's value in the market. Because the sad thing is, is that these players, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day for some, for certain clubs, they are commodities, right? They can be bought and they can be sold. And I think this is a really big uh, turning point in terms of how important the perception and the visibility of these players is, especially with stuff like social media and just how intense the media scrutiny is around them. Right. Yeah. And so we, we speaking of DWIs, there was a prison story that made headlines this week as Barcelona and Brazil legend Ronaldinho Gaucho uh, was released from his prison in Peru after being imprisoned on... Uh, a fraud charge for holding a fake passport. Hold up, hold up. Let's dissect this crime for a second. As many South American soccer players uh, tend to avoid, Ronaldinho is in massive debt to the Brazilian government as he, among with many others that we could name, has not paid his taxes. So, he attempted to get into the beautiful, lovely country of Paraguay by using a fraudulent passport. Unfortunately for Ronaldinho, he is somewhat of a recognizable figure. So his fraudulent passport was, of course, seen, denied, and he uh, he wound up in a uh, in a jail for a little bit. 
I think my favorite part about this is that he tried to buy his release from prison by offering $1.6 million to the Paraguayan government, and they turned it down. Like, it would seem to me that trying to bribe your way out of jail is not the solution when you're already imprisoned for, like, financial crimes. All I'm saying is that... Like, bro, pay those $1.6 million to the Brazilian (laughs) tax authorities. This is, like, a real, like, Jussie Smollett-level crime that, like, works on, like, like, several levels of idiocy. But regardless, the man is out of jail. He's recently been released to go quarantine in a a four-star hotel in Paraguay. But uh, I think what we want to discuss is his uh, fellow inmates' reaction to the legendary Brazilian leaving the prison facility. Well, so his fellow prisoners got to see his soccer skills on full display as he scored five goals and assisted on six in the intramural prison league. Can you imagine being like your everyday Paraguayan prisoner, like playing, you know, pickup soccer in the yard and all of a sudden you have like FIFA street god Ronaldinho coming around and like elasticoing you in the prison yard? It seems like just so unreal and I would absolutely watch the out of that 30 for 30, honestly. Yeah, is there any footage of the game? Like, do we have like, a highlight reel? There is. It was posted on Reddit, um, and I'll try and find it. Uh, but I would absolutely watch that. Like, honestly, it's just hilarious. It's like I think I would rather watch Ronaldinho beating the crap out of a bunch of prison level players over the Belarusian league. And I love the Belarusian league, <laughs> but I think there's something about like even like I don't even want it to be like right. high quality stream, right? I want it to be like CCTV camera footage. Of Ronaldinho, <laughs> <laughs> of Ronaldinho in these like intramural like prison yard games with like Alan Smith commentating over it and Martin Tyler <laughs> commentating over the CCTV footage. So, so Ronaldinho he he led his team to the to the vic- to victory in like the cup or the league, and they won a sixteen kilogram pork for barbecuing. That was the that was the prize pot that was on offer for uh, for his team. So. Uh, they had a barbecue to celebrate his release uh, on his last night in jail, and it sounds like he richly deserved that farewell celebration. And uh, since we've been discussing Ronaldinho so intensely here, that led us to another line of questioning that we thought would make a good segment for the pod today, and that is what player, obviously we're all stuck at home in our respective homes, quarantining away from uh, the, pan- the, the global pandemic that's happening right now, so we decided to ask the question, if we could choose any single player, active or retired or manager, who would we want to quarantine with from the world of soccer? Caleb Rhodes, who would you want to be quarantined with? You were hyping up this answer before we hit record, so I'm, I'm, I'm highly anticipating this. I would spend my time with West Ham United legend Patrice Evra. Oh, that's a brilliant oh, answer. A good, such a good answer. Um, I mean, we've all seen his videos, the I love this game posts. I mean, this guy is just a total bundle of joy. Um, and I think it would just be hilarious to spend some time with him where we literally could not be separated from each other. And you could have some like nice bubble bath time with him and his rubber, his rubber duckies. Absolutely. No, that's what I'm saying. This guy's like a riot. Okay, he literally his whole life is perfect for social media. So, I don't know. I think I think Patrice Evra is a very quality answer. And um, he can even get serious when he needs to. 
obviously like he's appeared on uh he's a pundit for Sky Sports. So he can even right. like I you mean, can even have an intellectual discussion with him about the game if you so desired. Yeah, and his playing career took him all over Europe for some of the top clubs in the world. Definitely yeah. that's a very solid answer right there to start us off. Nick, do you have do you have your player who you'd quarantine with? I do. It's also he's also a fullback. And he is uh, a former Barcelona superstar, Danny Alves. Oh, that's another quality Ooh, answer. Yeah. That's yep. that's very much along the same lines. Very much along um, the same lines as Evra. I think this dude is perhaps even more absurd and wacky. I don't think you can have the same intellectual discussions about about the game of soccer with Danny Alves. But I think uh you're certainly going to get some good food. You might even get some uh, bleach blonde hair out of the whole good ordeal. Music. You yeah, can good up music. With, like Alves and like Jose Manuel Pinto put out a few songs on yep. Spotify. That's a good answer. We can definitely jam to some uh, Portuguese tunes, and uh, I think some good TikTok dance videos would come out of uh, a quarantine <laughs> with Danny Alves. Dude, so and my... you could have access to Danny Alves's like fashion. Oh, absolutely. Yes, hundred percent. Well, if we were going on fashion, I would choose Hector Bellerin. I feel like he could teach me a lot about uh, what I need to do to like re-up my entire wardrobe in fashion sense. But uh, my actual answer isn't too far off. Uh, I sort of went like the more obvious route, and I would say that I would want to spend my quarantine with Arsene Wenger. Not for it, it probably wouldn't be as entertaining as Patrice Evra or Danny Alves, but. I just think that he is a one of the most brilliant soccer minds and I would love to just get his like to get the inside track to some of his knowledge. He's obviously like a he's a a, a student of economics. He managed Arsenal for 20 years and I think that he uh, would be able to teach me a lot in that time uh, although we probably wouldn't be able to you know have the same adventures as Evra or Alves would. Right. I think the other problem with someone like Wenger is that he is unfortunately a senior citizen. So you might be a bit, not to be ageist on this podcast, but you might be like beholden to an early bedtime and a lot of soup. Hey, I'm a huge soup guy. I wouldn't complain. I mean, yeah, Wenger would be interesting to hang out with, but I think he's definitely the least exciting of of our three options that we I think here. we would be remiss if we didn't talk about someone who also appeared on our last episode of the pod. I think Mario Balotelli would also be a wild card choice to quarantine with, especially if he's still up to his old antics. Yeah, I mean like any of the big personalities would, like Pogba or Ibra would also be like awesome choices to hang out with because they just do so much crazy stuff all the time. Like, honestly, you would wake up and you could be like, and Pablo could be like, hey, we're going to play virtual Uno with like Rihanna right now. And you'd be like, okay. Or Ibra would be like, hey, we're going to go like, I don't know, hunt something in my backyard. We're going to go karate kick a tree down. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I think there are a lot of good, there are a lot of good choices. It sort of depends on like how willing you are to really put yourself out there for this completely hypothetical question. Yeah, I mean, I think the virtue of someone like, of, of the first three is that there wouldn't be a, you know, a want to go outside necessarily. I feel like someone like Pogba or Ibra or Balotelli especially are definitely the type of people that would like pressure you into ignoring social distancing, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I think Balotelli, certainly Balotelli would try and get up to his old 
tricks about like sneaking into somewhere where he doesn't belong or like maybe have another go at that women's prison break in. I mean, sneaky, I feel like Messi wouldn't be a bad pick either if you ignore the fact that like obviously who wouldn't want to spend time with the greatest player in the history of soccer because he's got kids who would be entertaining if you want to be entertained. He's got a giant dog. Oh my and god, the dog. The, yeah, the and dog is the massive. Like hanging out with the Messi family. Like honestly, that would be that would be pretty fun as well on their like estancia in uh in Argentina. Yeah, I feel like there's several answers like that where you can pick like the nice domestic uh option, like the Messi family. Yeah. <laughs> for for more information on his dog, the breed is a I'm gonna totally butcher this. It's in French. A dog de Bordeaux, which I assume just means a dog from Bordeaux. But it has this, it's like gigantic. His name is Hulk. It's incredibly floppy. And you should, everyone should, you know, look up this dog. It, it looks like um, the three-headed dog uh, Cerebus, if yeah. that dog only had one head. No, yeah, this and dog it, is and massive. And there's, and there's a video of Messi, like, kind of baiting and switching <laughs> it with a, with a ball, kind of getting some touches in with Hulk that I, I would recommend everyone going and finding that video. Yeah, it's it's really cute. Yeah, and this sort of leads us into another, uh, I think, a topic that we touched on briefly in the last couple of episodes, but we've decided to flush out into a fully formed uh, point of discussion. And that is there are several fascinating what-if scenarios, certainly in the more modern uh, game of soccer in the last couple of years, about like certain what-if scenarios that could have happened, that could have drastically changed uh, the course of the history of the game and the way that we see it today sitting here in our homes in 2020. So uh, Caleb Rhodes, what is your soccer what-if scenario? So my what-if scenario is the in the 2013 Champions League final, which was Dortmund versus Bayern Munich, Mario Goetze, who I know today is you know well off his best, but in 2013 was on top of the world, um, he had already confirmed a transfer to Bayern before the game, but he was too injured to actually play in the final. So my what if is, do you think Dortmund could have beaten Bayern in that final if Goetze had been able to play? I think that was such a highly competitive final, as illustrated by the uh, the Robin goal in extra time that broke the deadlock. Um, I think it's really tough, because if Goetze was playing, how motivated do we think he would have been to perform on that stage for Dortmund? Obviously, it's a Champions League final, and that pressure will get to anyone. But the pressure was sort of off in him knowing that he had already secured a move to work with Pep Guardiola's uh, Bayern Munich the following season. So, obviously, he's a, he's a local Dortmund guy. And uh, he actually just announced today that he is going to be leaving the club at the end of the season, whenever that is. So... It definitely would have made for a more interesting game narratively. I still think Bayern had more quality than Borussia Dortmund that season, even though that season was magical for Jurgen Klopp's team. Yeah, that Bayern team was so good. That Bayern team from from 2011 through 2013 might go overlooked when when that decade is sort of looked back on, but that had prime Frank Ribéry, Thomas Müller when he was really producing from that sort of Rom Deuter role as that false 10 almost. Mario Mandzukic, who was banging the goals in. Javi Martinez, who was at that point, I believe, a record transfer 
for the global market, if not for just Bayern, um, and as well as Philipp Lahm and Bastian Schweinsteiger. So that team was certainly that that team boasted many world class players at the peak of their career, uh, as well as you know looking at the bench for that game. Mario Gomez, Claudio Pizarro, and Anatoly Timoshuk, who were both, who were all in their 30s at that point, um, all were very capable as well. So I'm not sure if he would have been able to make the difference, but Dortmund certainly have uh, been able to establish themselves as the second best team in Germany as a result of their success at the beginning of the decade under Klopp. Yeah, I don't know. I think the game was was closer than you guys are making it out to be like Dortmund only had one fewer shot on target they were they were pretty handily outpossessed and I just think that the difference in quality in the attack if you had Goetze instead of like Grosskreutz or Blazikowski and you moved Royce to the wing um, could have added like just a little bit more but and I also think it would have made a great storyline if like Goetze late in the game scored like the winning goal against the right. team he would then join um, but that's my what if, and we'll never you know, especially, know. Especially if he then scored the winning goal in 2014 as well, and that sort of became his uh, his trademark. Yeah, of the World Cup final, that was. Right. Right, that could have been this like slow ascent into stardom. Because that's really, because he was quite young at that point. He was probably like 20 or 21. Um, so, I don't know. What's my what if? Nathan, what about you? My what if, uh, we, we touched upon Messi earlier today. My what if is something that's been pondered a lot, but what if Messi decided to declare for Spain instead of Argentina on the international stage? Well, he definitely would have won a World Cup. And I think that uh, the debate about Messi being the greatest player would of all time or of any generation or certainly of this generation I think there that that sort of tension in that debate would certainly be alleviated um, if Messi had gone on to win an international trophy, Euro, World Cup, or otherwise, over Cristiano Ronaldo. So I certainly think that debate would be put to bed if he had declared for Spain and been the false nine and that outstanding team at the beginning of this decade. Yeah, I think that it, it would put the whole Messi-Ronaldo debate pretty clearly to bed. Uh, and And I think... So it's funny, right? Because Messi, you know, made a choice to represent Argentina, and he's suffered a lot for it. And people in Argentina, like, weirdly, kind of like dislike him, um, or they like blame him a lot of the time. And so I think the fact that he kind of chose to go to this like vaguely hostile environment sort of underscores how much of an attachment he really has towards Argentina. And so maybe it settles the debate either way because it adds some level of character to him. I don't know. Right. I think he's sort of seen as someone who left Argentina to go to Spain when he was 13. He sort of turned his back on the country. And every time that he puts on the Argentina shirt, he's always going to have that lingering shadow of Diego Maradona, who won a World Cup with Argentina over his head. So I think he put himself in a difficult position, certainly a more character building position by going back and attempting to win trophies in a uh, blue and white kit. But I think if he had or if he had declared for Spain, he would not have that pressure of a great player being associated with the Spanish national team because Spain's era of dominance was unprecedented for that program, and Messi could have been the banner the banner Spaniard for the football federation de España. Uh, yeah. 
I think it, in a weird way would also have helped him at Barcelona as well, because then instead of the conversation being, okay, when is Messi leaving and going home to play and retire for Rosario Central? It's okay. When does Messi retire and become a coach or when does Messi retire and become, you know, part of the backroom staff? It, it, it sort of becomes Messi would sort of become symbolic with Barcelona in a way that would transcend his current Argentinian identity. At the same time, it's entirely possible that that Spain team from 2008 to even 2016 wouldn't lose a game. Imagine the lineup of like Xavi Alonso, Busquets, Xavi, Fabregas, and then instead of David Silva, you have Messi. Or you play Iniesta in midfield instead of Xavi Alonso, and you play Messi up top, or Messi as a false nine in that Fabregas role. That team would have been unreal. And instead of winning games 1-0 and 2-1, or even 4-0, they would have been the biggest international juggernaut of all time. Right, and especially because the problem with Spain, especially after 2012, and even then when they were playing Fabregas as a false nine in Euro 2012, is that they never really had like a great out-and-out striker after David Villa, and also once, once Fernando Torres really started to like decrease in quality. Um, and so Messi would have solved that problem for the rest of the decade, which is pretty crazy. Not to not to add a what if into this what if, but in regards to how this affects the Messi Ronaldo debate, if we're honest, if Gonzalo Higuain wasn't literally like the worst soccer player ever in <laughs> oh, finals, <boy>. Messi Hall, <laughs> like the debate. <laughs> the debate would still be settled because Iquain would have scored in several of these international finals and Messi would have a World Cup and a Copa America or two. So really, we can really blame Higuain, who of course was teammates with Ronaldo several times in his career, for not letting Messi just easily beat Ronaldo in literally every facet. Are you throwing out a uh, conspiracy theory here? I'm not going to call it a conspiracy theory. All I'm saying is that Higuain's sort of loyalties are divided. Hmm. Well, Caleb throwing some uh, some gasoline on the Higuain fire, uh, throwing some gasoline on the Higuain fire there. Uh, my what if scenario is certainly a big one. It is perhaps one of the greatest what if scenarios that we'll ever be presented with, and it does involve my Liverpool Football Club. Uh, I cast your minds back to the 2013-14 season when Liverpool were on a surprising tear through the Premier League and they were three games away from securing the Premier League title. All they had to do was uh, win two and draw one in order to uh, get their hands on the trophy. And they were going up against Jose Mourinho's Chelsea side, a depleted Chelsea side that uh, was rotated because of their uh, early week fixture against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League semifinals. So uh, all Brendan Rodgers had to do was uh, go out and secure a draw at home at Anfield. Instead, we had one of the most iconic moments, one of the most traumatic moments, and one of the most devastating moments in Liverpool history and in Premier League history when Steven Gerrard slipped on the halfway line and allowed Dembaba to break through on goal and secure the victory for Chelsea Football Club. Um, I think the question is, what would have happened if Liverpool had gotten a draw that day in one away at Crystal Palace and home to Norwich the following 
not Norwich, Newcastle, and had gotten a result in their final couple of games and secured the Premier League, that leads into a interesting line of questioning about would Brendan Rodgers still be the manager of Liverpool? Would Philip Coutinho still be at the club? Would Luis Suarez still be at the club? Would we ever get to witness the Jurgen Klopp era and the resurgence of Liverpool as a European powerhouse, certainly in the Champions League? I think there's a lot of, especially since this happened sort of mid-decade, there's a lot of uh, domino effect that this question has. Yeah, I think what goes overlooked in the conversation about the slip is the real, and you know, the real choke was giving up a three-goal lead in the last twenty minutes of the game, um, the next weekend against Crystal Palace. Liverpool had a chance to retain, uh, I believe it was a, at that point a, a two-point advantage on Chelsea if they were able to hold on against Palace, but they blew that game, and that sort of added fuel to the fire of this idea that Liverpool are chokers, that Liverpool just can't win. I also think that it definitely would have, a Premier League win would have solidified Steven Gerrard as one of the the all-time greats. But for whatever reason, it's definitely a, a, a black mark on his legacy that a player of his caliber never got his hands on a Premier League trophy. Yeah, I'm not sure I have that much to add here, but I think the questions you raise are interesting, Nick. And in some sense, I think that the current Liverpool team should be thankful for the slip because I actually don't think a lot of this would have happened um, had Brendan Rodgers gotten the win and then been able to continue on as manager for like a year or two longer. So in that sense, maybe it was all for the best. Even Maybe it was the biggest sacrifice Jared ever made for Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, in some way, I think that's that is you are correct in saying that. I think we would not see Liverpool in the way that they are. This sort of like this resilient, dominant side who also play amazingly beautiful soccer uh, in in the fashion of Jurgen Klopp. Certainly, Jurgen Klopp wouldn't have been interested in the Liverpool project if he was already building from the top. If he wasn't having a rebuild job to do or a project that he can sink his teeth into. Uh, I think Brendan Rodgers would have eventually been found out as not so great of a coach at the elite level, uh, as he certainly showed in his following uh, season and a half at the club. Um, And I think for Gerrard, I think he still will go down as one of the Premier League greats. Um, But like Nathan was saying, it is certainly a black mark that he was never able to get his hands on the Premier League trophy. But certainly one of the greatest one-club men in uh, soccer history. Absolutely. And I think I didn't necessarily realize it at the time, but the Brendan Rodgers appointment at Liverpool was pretty peculiar because this wasn't someone who had had any real experience in a top flight league successfully, that is. I mean, he had one trophy and that was gaining promotion uh, with Swansea, right? And when he was, you know, when he was quote unquote found out, he then sort of did the thing that he probably should have done in the first place, and he went and managed a club that led that let him develop a, a tactical identity. And now he's really excelling with a very fun Leicester team. So I think it's probably for the best for him personally that that didn't happen because it certainly led hit, led to him becoming a, a better and more competent coach. Right. I think this is one of those rare soccer events that Caleb was saying that while it was devastating at the time, I think it worked out somewhat for all parties involved yeah i would agree yeah 
Shall we move on to Corner Kick Retakes, the segment in which we bring you soccer games that we feel that you should, the people, should rewatch while they're practicing social distancing? Yes. Nathan Strauss, what is your Corner Kick Retake for this week? I cast your mind back to the summer of 2016 and a matchup that will live long in the mind of a small island nation in Europe. Iceland 2, England 1 in the round of 16 of the European Championship. This game, it's not the the highest quality soccer, but what it is, is it's electric. Iceland had one of the best crowd support that I've ever, some of the best crowd support that I've ever seen in this game. And an English team that really didn't seem up to the challenge that might have uh, underestimated Iceland got uh, put to the sword after uh, going ahead early. They ended up conceding two goals in 15 minutes after a really poor performance from, from Joe Hart. And this led to, obviously, Roy Hodgson retiring, which then paved the way indirectly for Gareth Southgate's appointment. Um, but it led to one of the better Cinderella stories of international soccer in the time that I've been alive with Iceland losing to eventual champions France um, and then proceeding to qualify for the World Cup shortly thereafter. Definitely would recommend this game. Um, for whatever reason, there's a lot of entertainment value in watching England capitulate on the on the international stage. This is a great pick, actually. This is a phenomenal pick. And I think just for the post-match scenes alone with the Iceland fans who traveled to France for the tournament, it is worth watching. Yeah. Caleb Rhodes, what is your corner kick retake? So, so my corner kick retake this week doesn't have the same gravitas as that game, but it does have a lot of action in it, which I think is really what we're looking for right now. So I'm bringing us back to the 20th of October, 2012, in the La Liga match between Deportivo La Coruña uh, and Barcelona, which ended, do you guys know this game at all? I'm curious, actually. It might be a little esoteric. Was this was this like seven nothing or like six nothing or six one? No. It was Deportivo La Coruña four, Barcelona five. I do remember this game. This game was honestly like it's best described as hilarious. Um the Barcelona defense was definitely not having its best day. Uh it had a young Martin Montoya at right back. It had two converted center midfielders in Mascherano and Alex Song um, at center back, and then Jordi Alba um, at left back. And Barcelona, yeah, everything seemed to be going pretty well. You know, Barcelona scored through Alba in the third minute and Teo in the eighth minute. And then Messi put them 3 0 up in the 18th minute in the first um, of his three goals on the day. He would have a hat trick. But then Pizzi scored two goals, or Pizzi scored, Virgentino scored, and then Pizzi scored again, and then Messi scored. So it was like 4-3 at halftime. Then Mascherano got a red card, like immediately following the restart. And then Alba scored one of the strangest own goals I have ever seen, where he chipped his own goalkeeper, Victor Valdez. I I don't know how to describe it any other way, but it's worth rewatching because it's very odd. And then... Uh, Messi eventually put Barcelona firmly in the lead with his third goal 
and Barcelona got the day 5-4. So a very strange watch because it was just a highly dysfunctional game of soccer. Um, and you know, there's something to be said for that sometimes, I think. Nick, what is your uh, retake pick? Well, my retake is sort of a, it is a historic two-legged affair. And I want to cast your minds to Argentina. It is 2018, November 2018, and it is the Copa Libertadores final between River Plate and Boca Juniors. A two-legged tie that ended 3-5 to River Plate. But I, this, this was billed as the final to end all finals, the super final, and potentially the most important match in Argentinian soccer history. It is the two banner clubs for Argentina, Boca Juniors and River Plate, meeting for the first time in South America's biggest club competition, and it was not without drama, both on the pitch and off the pitch. The first leg took place on the 11th of November and Bo- at Boca Juniors Stadium, La Bombonera, and Boca Juniors and River Plate played out a 2-2 draw, an extremely entertaining 2-2 draw at that, um, which was marked by, if you want to talk about atmosphere, the atmosphere for this game was electric, unlike anything that I have perhaps ever seen in the real rivalry. We're talking like Hogan versus R, like we're talking about The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're talking about Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. We're talking about levels of El Clasico level rivalry, Liverpool versus Manchester United, but turn that up to 11. Um, unfortunately, uh, at the end of this match, um, before the, the beginning of the second leg, the Boca Juniors bus was attacked upon attempting to enter the River Plate Stadium, causing the game to be moved to the Santiago Bernabeu in Madrid under the brightest lights, perhaps, in Spanish-European club soccer with players like Messi, James Rodriguez, Cristiano Ronaldo in attendance to watch River Plate defeat Boca Juniors 3-1 in Madrid to claim a historic, dramatic Copa Libertadores final win for Marcelo Gallardo and his squad. So on the note of, you know, team buses getting attacked, whenever that happens, which is not that often, but you know it happens, I always think of that old uh, Beats by Dre ad from 2014 with Cesc Fabregas, where he's in the bus listening to I'm the Man. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> what a tangent. I don't know. Sorry. Nathan... Do you have anything to add about this uh, this final to end all finals? Yeah, so I actually got a FaceTime during the first leg from my friend Azul Guruchaga, who lives and studies in Argentina. Her family are uh, River Plate season ticket holders. And at this point in time, I'd actually been looking into coming to Argentina for a six-month study abroad program the next year. Uh, things didn't work out like that for me personally, but she was she showed me the view from her street and it was literally like a scene out of, it was like a chaos sequence from a movie. Like flares were lighting up the city. You could hear very enthusiastic yelling going all throughout the, uh, the neighborhood. And it was pretty wild. And I think sometimes this, this, the super classico, this derby goes overlooked in the conversation of like must see soccer games from around the world, because Let's face it, the, the Argentinian Superliga isn't broadcast on the same level as the Premier League even. But nonetheless, having the, the second leg of the final at the Bernabeu made it a much must-watch affair. And again, South American football certainly is deserving of a bigger stage 
um, in the global game. I think with that, that brings us to the end of Corner Kick Retakes, and that brings us to the end of Quarantine Kick Episode 4, A New Hope. Uh, We hope to have uh, brought some hope into your day, and we hope that you're continuing to uh, be safe and washing your hands and doing all those fun social distancing things in this time of uncertainty. But I have been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. Thank you.